Let's now turn to the New Testament uh, letter of Second uh, Peter. We'll read the first chapter. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit connection with our scripture reading, we also turn to uh, Belgian Confession. We're going to look at Article Article 3, concerns the written word of God. We confess that this word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of men, but that holy men of God spoke, being moved by the Holy Spirit, as Peter says. Afterwards, our God, because of the special care he has for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets, and apostles to commit this revealed word to writing. He himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. Therefore, we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Casper uh, Whisper Hodge, one of the uh, the professors, uh, pastors, and teachers associated with 
with Princeton Seminary uh, said that the majestic testimony of the church in all time is that its advance, advances in spiritual life have always been toward and not away from the Bible. And in proportion to the reverence for and power of realizing in practical life the revealed word of God. What is the movement of our lives in this world in relation to the word of God? Is it a movement uh, toward uh, the Bible or away from the Bible and its authority? We certainly live in times in our world, certainly, of moving away from the knowledge and practice of the Bible. And that's true often even where uh, polite things may be said about the Bible, and some passages might be read or quoted even from uh, pulpits in so-called Christian churches. Even where the Bible sometimes is referred to and uh, quoted, its authority is denied wherever it clashes with the trends of this world. And there are many instances of that around us. There are many so-called Christians and and Christian churches and leaders who are uh, pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ+, plus, uh, pro-assisted suicide, and uh, and all the while they refer to terminology, and uh, you would think that they are representatives of of Christian compassion and tolerance and kindness and. Uh, the media likes to trot these people out, right? And to interview them on public radio on, and, and on, on, and on television and to hear their views on such issues as if to say to the rest of, uh, the professing church who are still stuck in the past, see, listen to these intelligent, well-spoken, eloquent representatives of the Christian faith and realize that you just really have to get with the times because you're out of step. The great divide between those who are, are adhering to the word of God and its authority as it speaks to these issues and those who don't, whatever their profession is becoming, it's becoming clearer. It's becoming wider. Every, every Christian is going to find themselves, if they have not already, in a position where they're either going to confess and adhere to the teaching of scripture on, on these kinds of issues or they're going to conform to the current uh, uh, trends of, of unbelief and rejection of the Bible's testimony on these things. Every church, every Christian institution is being challenged in this very area. Last time we considered Article 2 of the Belgian Confession and its introduction of this matter of special revelation. And this subject is actually now developed in the next five articles. And again, that reflects just how foundational this, this teaching is. It really concerns the basis upon which our faith rests. God's word is a light that shines in a dark place. Holy and divine words have in fact been written down. And we possess that writing. And that is our greatest treasure on earth in terms of any material possession and its value for our lives. And we're going to be considering that. This word, this word of God that shines in 
the darkness of unbelief in our world. And we want to begin by considering the miracle of special revelation. From the very outset, we are acknowledging that the Bible is a supernatural book. It's a miraculous book that doesn't have its origin from below, but rather it comes from above in terms of uh, its teaching and its authority and its perfection. But that leads to the question, a question uh, that has been asked and uh, often answered incorrectly. The question is, how can man speak or how can man write God's words? Given the fact that man is always limited in his knowledge and man is sinful and he's weak, he's frail. In every generation, the best of men reflect the prejudices and the errors of the day in which they live. And how are such mortals ever able to speak infallible, inerrant words that are God's words? How can an equal sign ever be drawn between man's words and God's words? And isn't it obvious when you consider the Bible itself that it shows human authorship? It's clear that there are differences in style in the writings of Scripture. It's true that uh, there is indication that the authors themselves on occasion apparently did some research into the subject in which, in which, uh, of which they wrote. The introduction to the Gospel of Luke suggests that. Isn't it evident that, that different personalities and, and, and characteristics shine to, shine through in the various styles of the human authors of scripture? And to this thing, these questions we will say, yes, yes, that's true. But if we stop there, if that's all that we say about the Bible, then uh, readers of these human authors will find differing teachings and conflicting teachings. And they will find evidence of pride and arrogance or ignorance because they will view the Bible as basically a human book. However lofty its ideals might be, however impressive it might be in many respects, ultimately was written by people, and that's as far as it goes. Or maybe maybe they were lifted up with a kind of special spiritual insight and inspiration, but that doesn't mean that everything that they said and wrote is actually the Word of God. And if people approach the Bible that way, then the authors and the Bible itself has credibility already only according to uh, the opinion of the human critics. And they might prefer some authors over others as being more helpful, insightful, spiritual, however they might define them. But when it comes right down to, to it, their assessment of the Bible depends upon their opinion of the product of human authors. And of course, those opinions, you know, are found all the way along the spectrum of those who really show contempt for those authors and those who want to honor them after a manner. But men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's the testimony of Scripture. Holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Our confession quotes from Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21, pretty much verbatim. We confess that this word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of men, but that holy men of God spoke being moved by the Holy Spirit, 
as Peter says, and then the reference, of course, is to the passage that we read together. Deuteronomy 18 describes the prophetic ministry this way, with God speaking, saying, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak whatever I have commanded him. And that's a description of the prophetic ministry. The prophetic ministry of Moses through Samuel, through the major, the minor prophets, and ultimately and especially of our Lord Jesus Christ. The final word, the great prophet, whom God sent to fully reveal his will. The prophets spoke knowing that they were speaking God's word. And so they introduced the words they uh, spoke often with such uh, words as, Thus says the Lord. This is what God says. And sometimes they uh, spoke such words despite their dismay over the very message that they were commissioned to proclaim. There are numerous references to prophets who were, who were given God's words as in the form of a scroll, which they were to eat. And that scroll was sweet to their taste, but yet bitter to their stomach. They experienced the sweetness and the goodness of God's word. And yet, that meant that sometimes they had to deliver a message that was hard. A message that made them men of contention, as Jeremiah was. A message that filled them with dismay, so that Isaiah cries out, How long, Lord, how long must he proclaim a message that will actually harden people in their unbelief and sin? They spoke a message that was uh, characteristically often beyond their own grasp and understanding of its meaning. First Peter tells us this in, in the first chapter, where it says in verse 10 and following, of this salvation, that is the salvation revealed now in Christ, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The Holy Spirit testified beforehand, before these things were accomplished, of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. And he testified through their mouths, through their prophecies. And they spoke these things, and then, as it were, they sat back. And they reflected upon what they had said and asked themselves, well, what does it mean? I don't understand it. And they inquired and searched diligently into the meaning of the words that they themselves had spoken. Because they did not speak according to their own private spiritual insights, according to their own interpretation, according to their own will. But no, they were carried along as by a boat that is carried along, whose sails are filled with a wind that blows. The Holy Spirit carried these men in such a way that they spoke His very Word. And that means that they spoke with consequent accuracy, infallibility, inerrancy, authority. There are so many incidental testimonies to the nature of... Uh, of inspiration and special revelation in Scripture. In Acts chapter uh, 4, for instance, when the apostles faced persecution and opposition, they went to their own company 
and raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things, etc. And then it quotes from Psalm 2. But the Lord is the speaker through the mouth of his servant David. In chapter 28, verse uh, 25, the Jews gathered to hear the Apostle Paul declare the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfillment of Scripture. But they didn't agree among themselves as to the truth of that message. And they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. It's the Holy Spirit who spoke through Isaiah the prophet to the fathers, those words, which were written down and which we possess. And we can read them from Isaiah, or we can read them from the Gospel of Matthew, or we can read them from this passage here in Acts chapter 28, where they are quoted as the revelation of God. Well, what about then those differences in style or, or personality? And the simple answer to that is miracle. Miracle. God clothed his speech in human words. He didn't suppress the personality of these authors. He didn't blank out their minds and their wills so that they just mindlessly wrote without thought at all of what they were writing or without any kind of conscious engagement in what they were doing. Yet he suppressed their sin and transcended their limitations and then used their minds and their wills entirely absolutely in the service of his own mind and of his own will so that they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. The miracle of special revelation. And we have to be uh, up front and be prepared to testify to the fact that, yes, the Bible is a supernatural, miraculous book. There's nothing like el uh, nothing else like it in the whole world where we have the word of God. Well, that leads us to consider, and we've already been doing so somewhat, the form of special revelation. That is the form in which we possess special revelation in a book, in the Bible. You see, our article treats of two things. It uh, speaks generally of, of, of uh, inspiration, quoting this uh, passage from Peter, with reference to the whole matter of prophecy, which is a broader character a broader um, thing than the scriptures themselves. And then it says, And afterwards our God, because of the special care he has for us in our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit this revealed word to writing. And so there is uh, inspiration of the prophets, but there's also inscripturation, we might, we might call it, putting God's words in writing. And you see, what that means is that not every word that God spoke to man throughout history is in our possession. Think of the long ministry of some of the prophets. Their inspired prophetic ministry in which they said, thus says the Lord and spoke infallible truth by the power of the Holy Spirit is not, not limited to what is recorded in Jeremiah, for example, or Isaiah. Many of them ministered for years saying, thus says the Lord. In the Gospel of John, uh, the, the 21st uh, chapter, in the, con the conclusion, we read uh, concluding words. 
from John. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Jesus not only performed miraculous works that are not on record for us to read about, but he spoke many perfect, infallible words that are not written down. So revelation is a broader thing than inscripturation. And yet God secured for us what we need. He commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit this revealed word to writing. And sometimes we have explicit uh, commands in, in Scripture uh, to, to that effect. In Jeremiah chapter uh, 36, uh, as one example, the Lord, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day that I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Or we turn to the book of Revelation and uh, we hear in the first chapter the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to John saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then they're, they're enumerated there. So there is a distinction between prophetic speaking and writing. But it's the same miracle. The very same miracle. That's also a problem with the so-called prophecies of today, right? If there are actual prophecies taking place today in churches, what these so-called prophets say should, could, be written down as the very word of God and be included into the canon of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 even appears to make that distinction between uh, prophecy and, and scripture. It says, knowing this first. Well, we'll read verse 21 first. It says, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's a general description of the character of prophecy. Wherever there was prophecy, it never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But then in the previous verse, it uh, says, in connection with our call to give heed to the light that shines in the dark place, it says, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. It refers to the prophecy of Scripture, that is, the prophecies that we have written down, and the general prophecy that always involved the supernatural work of God moving men by his spirit to speak infallible truth. But this miracle indeed applies to all of scripture. We call such writings holy and divine scriptures. All scripture, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine for correction, for reproof, instruction in righteousness. You see, that's why we don't play off uh, Peter against Paul or Paul against Peter or Jesus against Peter and Paul. That's why we don't uh, 
treat those words that may be printed in our Bibles in red as if they're more sacred or if somehow they're more divine, more the word of God than the words that are printed in black. We need to be aware of that so that uh, if we have a red letter edition of the Bible, we don't uh, make a distinction between the authority of the words that are printed in our Bibles in red, because actually uh, the translators also make judgment calls because sometimes it's not obvious where uh, Jesus begins or um, stops speaking and the inspired author carries on from there. It's not always uh, crystal clear. So the translators make a judgment and they could be mistaken. But in any case, that is such the difference in terms of the authority and the inspiration of all the parts of Scripture. Inscripturation began at least with Moses. And you know, when you read the, the genealogy of uh, Genesis, of things that took pla- place generations before Moses, yes, Moses is uh, the author of the first five books of the Bible. But that doesn't mean that he had no resources to consult. It may very well be that there were good written records about genealogical information that Moses used. So I say this inscripturation began at least with Moses, but it carried on over a period of 1,500 years. And you might say God himself took the lead. God himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. That's recorded in the book of Exodus, reminding us that, yes, inscripturation is God's own activity in this instance. And the result is a complete unified Word, the Word of God, in our hands, in one book. How important is it to have God's Word in writing? I think there are some things that we can just take for granted because we've grown up with them and can fail to appreciate what a precious gift it is to have the Scriptures complete. Here we have God's revelation in a permanent form. And that is that is superior to... Uh, a mere verbal tradition of prophecy that might be passed on from mouth to mouth or mouth to ear because a message can be uh, slightly distorted intentionally or not or quickly forgotten, right? Isn't that what we say? Let me write that down, okay? It might be a name. We want to get it right. We don't want to forget it. It's a great blessing to have the words of God written down for us in a permanent form. Or consider the matter of accessibility. And again, that's better than a kind of continuing prophetic ministry had God chosen simply to reveal his word by ongoing prophetic revelation. Again, you would depend on word of mouth or memory or the value of having a concise, limited source of such perfect revelation. Yes, God could have provided us with a library of books if the whole world uh, wouldn't contain the books that could have been written, as John says, that means that certainly we could have numerous volumes of the works and words of Jesus. And we might think, well, that would be very fascinating. But you can also th- see the downside of that, right? People would despair of being able to read the whole thing. But we have God's revelation in a concise form, in one book. Yes, it's a big book. There are a lot of words in that book. And there are a lot of things that are difficult to understand takes a lot of time and effort to understand the riches and the completeness of God's revelation. But it's still pretty limited. It's very accessible. One has said that within that awful volume, awful in that older sense of 
awesome and amazing. Within that awful volume lies the mystery of mysteries, happiest they of human race, to whom God has granted grace to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch and force the way. And better had they ne'er been born who read to doubt or read to scorn. And that leads us finally to consider the grace of this special revelation. To have the Bible is by God's sovereign grace. The Canons of Dort, we read that last time in the third and fourth chapter, described those who have a special revelation as those who receive so much grace beyond and in spite of all they deserve. It's describing you and I who have the word of God. Our God, because of the special care he has for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit this revealed word to writing. From a child you have known the holy scriptures, Paul says to Timothy, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. We live in those perilous times that Paul also spoke of in Second Timothy chapter 3. We said, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And then it describes those perilous times in terms of the corruption of man. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We live in times in which things that were once considered normal and obvious and right, they're just taken for granted as such. They're not only being questioned, but they're being attacked. And you know the familiar list, definition of marriage, the definition or distinction between male and female, respect for human life, preborn life, the life of those who are mentally handicapped, the life of those who are aged and infirm and vulnerable, respect for human life of all nations, of all races. seems like there's an increase of racism in our day. And people once assumed that just common sense, a common morality dictates the right and wrong views with respect to these things. And they were wrong because it's not common sense. It's not a common shared morality that makes it obvious to everyone what the difference between right and wrong is on such issues. No, the deceitful heart has so corrupted people's minds and their values that they call evil good and good evil. And see, the reason why people perhaps in, uh, you know, maybe previous decades thought that it was just a matter of common sense to define the difference between men and women and to define marriage and the sacredness of life, sacredness of life. What? Government-sponsored assisted suicide for the mentally ill? That's outrageous. That sounds like Hitler. But when people thought that way, they were still borrowing. They were still living on the influence of a Christian worldview. They were still acting upon a kind of Christian memory that reflect, reflected the influence of God's word in their culture. But that memory, brothers and sisters, is, is fading fast. It's become uprooted from its source in God's word. Common sense and a common morality only leads to common destruction. Our world has long moved away from the authority of the Bible and the results are now evident in 
poisonous, rotten, deadly fruit. We're in a dark place in that connection. But a clear light shines, and that is the Word of God. And there's a sense in which the, the darkness really accents the brilliance of that light and its goodness. And what a treasure we have. And hopefully we can see like never before how, tre- how precious God's Word is. Because here alone we have uh, the answers of life's most important questions. And it's a light then that we do well to give heed to, earnest heed. Pay careful attention to the teaching of God's Word. And also be willing and ready to give an answer for the reason that is hope, for the hope that is in you. And do so in a way that communicates your conviction that you really do have good news. That the truth of God is not only true, but it's beautiful and it's good. We want to help people to see that by the work of the Holy Spirit, of course. We can't do it. God can use our testimony. Our God, because of the special care he has for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit his revealed word to writing. Let me urge you to take that very personally. Young people, say, God, because of the special care that he has for me and my salvation, has given to me the scriptures and treasure it as your greatest possession. And so make use of it, this bright light that shines in a dark place. Amen.